You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking with Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the Fan Side Network. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our Locked On rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today, we'll hit the second to last player on the player review series. That's Ricky Rubio. He was number two on the team in total minutes played this year. So we'll talk about Ricky, his season compared to expectations, how he was used after Chris Finch was hired, how he closed the season, some of his best and worst two-man lineups, as well as what the advanced metrics say about his season and also what to expect next year. Um, and also assign a letter grade to his season as a whole. And then I want to talk, we'll close the show today by peeking in on the NBA playoffs and uh, what went down on Monday night in, uh, in uh, there were only two games Monday, but we'll talk about the two games and what to expect as we head into games on Tuesday. So that will be the show today. First, though, a reminder, as always, you can follow this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. That includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves and at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. All right, let's jump right into Ricky Rubio. Um, So Rubio was acquired on draft night, of course, in November, mid-November, of 2020. And when he was acquired, the idea was, hey, the Ricky Rubio that was in Phoenix last season in the 1920 season is a great fit uh, alongside rookie Anthony Edwards, alongside D'Angelo Russell as a secondary ball handler. Um, And I mean, there's a lot to be said for what Ricky did in Utah with Donovan Mitchell and then also with Devin Booker in Phoenix being a plus defender, being, as as mentioned, an, another ball handler, somebody who could knock down spot-up three-point shots at a reasonable clip. Um, the three years since he left Minnesota, two years in Utah, one year in Phoenix, he was a 34.1% shooter from three. He had a career-high 36.1% just last season in Phoenix. So, you know, you figure if he's a league average-ish, maybe even a little bit better three-point shooter, an above-average playmaker, an above-average defender, yeah, there's only one ball to go around, and a lot of Ricky Rubio's value um, is thought of as as he's the primary playmaker, the ball handler, the guy who's initiating offense. And, you know, you've got D'Angelo Russell, you've got Carl Anthony Towns, you've got Anthony Edwards. So there was some concern with how another guy who needs the ball in his hands to be effective was going to mesh with the existing roster. Some of those concerns were realized immediately. When D'Angelo Russell was healthy, Rubio, early in the season, uh, was coming off the bench, and he struggled playing in those minutes with D'Angelo Russell, the, the minutes with the two of them together were not successful. Um, he, he did, I should say, he did start the first uh, night because there was the issue with D'Angelo Russell. I think he missed the COVID-19 test or something. It was late for a shoot around, something like that. Rubio came off the bench in games two and three. He was kind of in and out of the starting lineup for the first part of the year, was a starter, obviously, for the whole time D'Angelo Russell was out, and then finished the year with a couple of games on the bench in the final a uh, couple weeks of the season. This was the first time in his entire career that Rubio was not a full-time starter. I mean, here and there, there was a game he came off the bench, I guess, once in Utah, a handful of games his first couple of years in Minnesota. But in now 631 career games, he's only come off the bench, what, 
38 times out of 631 career games. So he's been basically a full-time starter throughout his career and was coming off a season in Phoenix. He started 65 games, averaged 31 minutes a game. When it was all said and done, by the way, this was actually the least minutes he's ever played per game in a season, really by far. 26.1 minutes per game. He'd never been below 27.9 minutes per game. Um, and that was his second year in Utah when they were kind of starting to phase him out of out of the starting line. Well, not out of the starting lineup, out of the late game rotation uh, in Utah. Um, and he just ended up not playing quite as much this year. Uh, so we'll get into that here in just a second. But in terms of the fit in Minnesota, it was pretty clear what they were expecting him to do. Again, if he could hit threes at, a, at an average-ish clip, if he could play above average defense, if he could be a mentor for Anthony Edwards, if he could play some with D'Angelo Russell and, and use dual ball handlers with as much pick and roll as Ryan Saunders wanted to run, this was seen as as a, an acquisition that made some sense. And the contract lined up well with James Johnson, who's an expiring contract after this season. He was sent to Oklahoma City. And the the, the deal made sense from that perspective as well with Ricky uh, this season and then one more year at $17 million, um, this upcoming season, the 21-22 season. Um, so the, it's not like they spent a lot in terms of assets to acquire him. And the homecoming, the you know coming back to Minnesota thing after being gone for three years, Rosas claims it had nothing to do with it. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I think the idea was that would be an unintended benefit of it. Of course, with no fans in the stands for the majority of the season, it didn't really matter much either way. Um, But that was the idea behind acquiring Rubio. Now, he got off to a terrible start this season. Part of it was being in and out of the lineup. Part of it was learning how to play with D'Angelo Russell. Clearly, there was a learning curve there. And then also, we found we knew that Ricky Rubio had had COVID-19 last summer. Between that and also leading into the season with an unconventional training camp, only two preseason games, not a really a completely unconventional offseason. Um, Rubio admitted in season in interviews that he wasn't in shape at the start of the season. And then he recently did an interview just last week with John Krasinski at The Athletic, where he talked about not feeling like he was really ready to go, um, you know, once they were really midway through the season. Um and he wasn't the only one. And he, you know, he talked about it not being an excuse, but discussed the conditioning issues and the really feeling like they were in play and shape issues. And by the time he felt like he was rounded into shape, I mean, that was when Carl Anthony Towns was out. And that was when the Wolves were struggling to figure out what this rotation should look like, you know, moving forward. And then there was a coaching change and there were all these things kind of shifting around. But midway through the season, you get to middle of February and Ricky Rubio actually was fantastic from that point on, really, uh, through the rest of the season. Um, and, and we'll get into the numbers here in a moment, or at least the advanced metrics. Um, well, actually, here, let's look at what he did from that point on. So from February 14th to March 22nd, this was uh, after D'Angelo Russell went out, Rubio became a starter in, in that 17 game stretch. So just a, about five weeks, February 14th to March 22nd, Rubio averaged 12.6 points and 7.6 assists per game, shot 46.3% from the field and 39.4% from beyond the arc. So that was after a stretch from January to February. He went over a month without making a three pointer. And then over the next five weeks, he shot 39 plus percent on three point attempts. Uh, Russell came back and Rubio started for a long time while, while D'Lo came off the bench. The scoring output dipped because he, you know, Ricky wasn't on the floor closing games a lot. Um, and, and overall, and, and I want to get into two man minutes here in a, in a second. We'll talk about Rubio and Russell. Their net rating together wasn't great, but it was much better late in the season than it was early in the season. And again, we'll, we'll dig into that here shortly. Uh, grand scheme of things, this was a disappointing year for Ricky Rubio. We saw him, you know, this was a career low in, in points per game. Um, and, and that is not 
at all what the Timberwolves had in mind when they traded for him. And, and I can assure you that's not what Rubio had in mind. I mean, career low, uh, including those early years when he couldn't shoot the ball at all. His field goal percentage this year was his lowest since his second to last year in Minnesota back in the 15-16 season. Um, his three-point percentage was his lowest since his last season in Minnesota and barely beat that out, 30.8% this year. His free throw rate was down. His assist rate was even down a little bit. Uh, rebound rate was down pretty significantly. It was actually the second lowest rebound rate of his career next to his rookie season. Steal rate uh, was up a little from last year, but down from his career uh, average. Turnover rate was down, but so was his usage rate. His usage rate was actually a career low as well, which surprised me quite a bit, actually. Um, so there were a lot of things about this season that you could tell his role kind of, you could see in real time, his role kind of shifting from primary ball handler to more of a bench type guy. Even though he started a lot second half of the season, his minutes were shorter. He, was, he wasn't necessarily playing all the time in crunch time. It just kind of depended on the game. And, and Chris Finch really kind of felt things out depending on how certain groups were playing together. Um, you could see Rubio struggling to adapt really to this new role where he's, uh, you know, elder statesman's maybe a dramatic way to say it, but because uh, I mean, he's still, what, 30? Um, he'll be 31 right at the start of next season. But with the way that this team is structured, he really was that and was a mentor to Edwards and to Towns and, and had just a different role than what uh, it, I'm sure within what he expected and also than what the Wolves expected too. They thought they'd be a playoff team and there'd be this Rubio Russell duo throughout the season that could guide the Wolves to the playoffs. Um, and that obviously didn't play out. So what I want to do next is look at the two man lineup numbers. I want to look at uh, the difference between early season and late season, and then also some of the advanced metrics as we kind of break down uh, what what the metrics say about Rubio's season, his his return season to Minnesota. First, though, let's talk about our title sponsor of today's show, and that, of course, is Locker Room. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll fan, fa find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You can even find Locked On hosts across the NBA, MLB, and NHL. I'll be joining the app soon, so be sure to get started and I'll meet you there. Go download the free Locker Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA, NFL, MLB, or NHL group for the latest league updates I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you on the app. I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On Wolves room is live. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Let's also talk about rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning to wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're always reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. 
Again, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and they're the exact same for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, uh, let's keep talking about Ricky Rubio here. I want to get into the two-man lineup numbers here. Uh, Early in the season, Rubio just did not play well in his minutes with D'Angelo Russell. Um, It was fixed somewhat late in the season, and and we'll get to that too. Uh, But let's start with the first chunk of the season. And remember, D'Lo was out for a significant period of time. Um, But we'll just, we'll say from start of the season to mid-February, call it February 13th, the net rating of D'Angelo Russell and Ricky Rubio together was a shocking minus 22.4. It was only 141 minutes, again, because of the injuries. Rubio missed a couple of games due to COVID-19 close contact as well. But in 141 minutes, it was a minus 22.4. That was the worst uh, two-man pairing for Rubio outside of Ed Davis and Jordan McLaughlin, who both played barely any minutes along with Rubio. Um, D'Angelo Russell and Ricky Rubio, a negative 22.4. Now, if you take February 14th through the end of the season, that number improves quite a bit. The two-man lineup with Russell and Rubio together, the second part of the season improved all the way to a positive 0.8. They went from a negative 22 to a positive 0.8. Still not outstanding, but a positive net rating is obviously a good thing in 229 minutes. So we saw that pairing more frequently the second part of the season. Part of that's due to Chris Finch's system and the way that the offense was operating after Ryan Saunders was out of the picture. Instead of a steady diet of pick and rolls, you know, D-low ball handling with Rubio off the ball, spotting up. We saw a more free-flowing offense. We saw Anthony Edwards initiating more offense. Even when both Rubio and Russell were on the court together, we would see Anthony Edwards initiate offense. And again, we saw D'Angelo Russell more off the ball, cutting and moving. Instead of simply Rubio initiating pick and roll and D'Angelo Russell spotting up or vice versa, we saw plays called for D'Lo where Rubio was initiating or Anthony Edwards was initiating and D'Lo was coming off of screens, double drag screens, pin downs, whatever it might be, getting open and shooting jumpers, even cutting to the basket a little bit. We saw the D'Lo movement without the ball unlocked a lot more under Chris Finch, and that in turn helped those numbers with that pairing of Rubio and Russell because a good chunk of the time, Rubio was the one initiating the offense in those sets. Um, so we saw that improve quite a bit. Now, across the board, Rubio's two-man lineups are going to be much better the second half of the season because he simply played that much better the second half of the season. Um, his best two-man lineup with any significant minutes, the second part of the season is with Juancho Hernan Gomez, his his countryman, his fellow Spaniard, um, which was a positive 3.8. He also had a positive two-man with Jared Vanderbilt, a, a 0.7. The, the lineup that he played the most, or the two-man that he played the most in the second part of the season was with Anthony Edwards. It was a minus four. Uh, not awful, obviously not ideal. With Carl Anthony Towns, that was the second most. They played a little over a thousand minutes together as a two-man lineup, and that net rating was a minus 0.4, so decent, um, you know, roughly even when Towns and Rubio were on the court together. So all positive numbers. It shows how much better Rubio was in the second half of the season than, when he, than he was in the first, and it's good to see him playing so well with, or at least adequately, with with some of the team's, uh, you know, best players and the players who saw the most minutes. Um, 
Let's jump over to bball-index.com. By the way, those two-man lineup numbers were from nba.com slash stats. Now we'll go over to bball-index.com. And they have a number of proprietary metrics as well as they compile all the, 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 the best advanced metrics from around the internet together in one spot. First, I want to talk about what Ricky Rubio has done best with, though. Um, obviously, it's as a playmaker, but his playmaking numbers are off the charts. And this is what made his season offensively actually be pretty decent and, and a little even better than respectable this year, which given the shooting percentages being weighed down that we already talked about, the free throw rate down, the three-point shooting percentage being down, you would expect him to not have as good of an offensive season. However, he was such a good playmaker, so good with the ball in his hands, that it actually brought those numbers up to a respectable level. So for instance, high value assists per 75 possessions. This is based on B-Ball Index's numbers. That's defined as three-point assists plus free throw assists plus rim assists, right? So the, the highest value assists per 75 possessions, Rubio is 99th percentile league-wide. That's 8.4 high value assists per 75 possessions, 99th percentile league-wide. That's insane. Um, assist points per 75 possessions, which is a, a similar metric, 97th percentile, 20.7 per 75 possessions. That also grades out as an A according to B-Ball Index. Every single playmaking grade except for scoring gravity was an A or an A minus according to B-Ball Index. So what is that? Uh, there's there's like 11 or 12 of these and all of them but one. He's an A or an A minus league-wide um, in terms of the percentile for playmaking. That matters. And that helps with the shooting, the shooting numbers that weren't good. Um, we look at his perimeter shooting, and almost every single one of those, he's a C or a D. Rubio grades out as a C on pull-up three-pointers, which actually was better than I expected. He shot a little over 28%, 28.3% on pull-up three-point attempts. That's 48th percentile. It's a C. But catch-and-shoot threes, he graded out as a D, 34th percentile. Um, above the break threes, D plus, 36th percentile. Corner threes, he was a little better, 46th percentile. That's a C minus. Uh, but almost all the shooting numbers are, are Cs and Ds. The playmaking numbers, all As. Again, maybe not surprising, but the fact that the playmaking numbers were that good surprised me a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think they were they were going to grade out quite that well this season. Um, you look at his his play types though, and the only ones where he's above average at all are in isolation, which of course he didn't do very often, and off of screens in terms of points per possession. As a pick and roll ball handler, um, Rubio was 11th percentile league wide this year, 0.65 points per possession. That's really bad. That grades out as an F. He was 14th percentile in transition, also an F. Um, so those individual play types did not look good this year for Rubio. However, because the playmaking was so good and because he played with some strong lineups, and, and, and again, the second part of the season especially, he played so much better. The advanced metrics actually didn't hate his season. You go and you look at, at the LeBron metric, um, which is a proprietary metric at B-Ball Index, and offensively, 81st percentile. Uh, a plus 0.5 on the season that grades out as an A minus. According to Real Plus Minus, that's ESPN's advanced metric, which is my favorite all-encompassing metric. Again, all of these can be taken with some grains of salt, and I think it's best to look at at the uh, you know the the sum of all these different parts, all these different uh, you know metrics instead of just taking one or one or two as gospel. But RPM had him as a 70th percentile offensively. That's a B. Raptor had him as a C. That's the 538 metric. Um, but across the board generally positive. Um, he grades out as a B plus overall offense and defense together, according to LeBron, a B plus, according to real plus minus at ESPN, a C minus, according to Raptor at 538, the LeBron box plus minus is a B. Again, the LeBron metric is the B ball index proprietary one. Um, 
So certainly not as good of a season as he had in Phoenix in 1920, no question about that. Not as good as his first season in Utah, but this season was roughly in line with his second year in Utah, which, uh, you know, I guess caused Utah to move on from him. He wasn't outstanding. This wasn't a great year for Ricky Rubio, but the way that he played in the latter part of the season, his ability to be a playmaker, and also uh, the, the really kind of immeasurable, um, not as much tangible um, impact of his his presence on Anthony Edwards, also Carl Anthony Towns. You know, we could throw in Jalen Noel, Jade McDaniel, some of these other young players that the Timberwolves had on the roster. And I mean, we, we, we don't have to go any further than Anthony Edwards himself. He called Ricky Rubio the best leader he's ever been around in his entire life. Um, that, I mean, that matters. I mean, I get that Anthony Edwards is only 20. It's not like his life is that long, but I mean, those are high, those are, that's really high praise coming from the potential rookie of the year to say that about Ricky Rubio, a guy who averaged, you know, not even nine points a game this year, shot 30% from three. Uh, but for Anthony Edwards to say that, and, and Carl Anthony Towns has talked about it before the season and during the season about Ricky's leadership ability and Towns and Rubio obviously have been close off the court as well. And there's something to be said for that stability and, and his presence. And, you know, you, you I referenced the John Krasinski article at the athletic. If you have an athletic subscription, please read it. But Rubio talks about how he wants to have a chance next year to play with a fully healthy team and to push for the playoffs and to play for the fans at target center, all those things matter. And, and to have a guy who really wants to be there and, and wants to have that positive effect on the younger players around him and also win, and he's desperate to win. Those things are all very real um, and, and they have a, a real impact. Now, he's under contract for one more year for, I think it's $17.8 million for next year. He is a, a, a potential trade piece because of the expiring deal, because there is some value there. We know that the Clippers um, and a couple of other teams, the Clippers, I'm blanking on who the other main one was uh, uh, that was interested in him at the trade deadline, but there were teams that were interested in Ricky Rubio as, as acquiring him as a primary backup point guard for the playoff push, and the Timberwolves didn't do it. Uh, they did not pull the trigger on a trade, obviously and decided to hang on to him. And I wonder how much of an impact the Edwards-Rubio relationship, especially, and maybe to a lesser extent, the Towns-Rubio relationship might have on the likelihood or lack thereof that Gerson Rosas ultimately trades Ricky Rubio. Um, I, I really think it's more likely than not he's on this team at the start of next season, even though he has a contract that could be seen as very tradable this year. I, my guess is I would put it at about 75-25. He's on the roster at the start of the year. And depending on how the first part of the season goes, he may be traded at the deadline. If there's more injuries, if things don't go as planned, he will be traded, I would think, by next year's trade deadline. If the team's in playoff contention, though, I don't think the Wolves are, are going to be too excited to rock the boat with a guy that two of their best players in Edwards and, and Towns really like playing with and really respect as a player and as a person. So Ricky Rubio is very likely going to be on this team again next year. I think he generally fits with what Chris Finch wants to do, actually not quite as well as with what Ryan Saunders wanted to do previously, but he played much better under Finch because the offense just had more flow and more movement to it. It was just a better offense. The team built some confidence and obviously they were healthier. So be curious to see what that looks like moving forward. If Finch genuinely wants to keep Rubio on the roster, he did make a comment after he joined, after Finch joined the Timberwolves about how he'd always wanted to coach Ricky Rubio and he was intrigued by Rubio and, and, and the idea of coaching him. So we'll see what happens with that moving forward. But Going back to the Russell Rubio two-man numbers, that 
that on-court relationship obviously blossomed and, and got better as the season went on. We know Rubio has good chemistry with Carl Anthony Towns. We know him and Edwards, at least off the court, have good chemistry. So I do think it's a pairing or or Rubio with this Wolves roster is a, is a match that could work moving forward still, even though it was a little awkward at times this year. And Rubio just had a, a terrible first half. Overall for the season, we have to give Rubio a B minus though. I mean, it's really tough to grade him as any better than that. This ended up being a decent year all things together. If you just looked at his stat line for the season, you'd say, ah, he's kind of down across the board with the advanced metrics liked him. And in limited minutes, he he did okay. You know, he, he brought something to the table from a playmaking perspective, assist rate, et cetera. Um, but there's no sugarcoating the first half of the season. It was terrible. And as good as the second half was, the first half obviously matters. That's when the Wolves dug themselves a huge hole. And maybe if Rubio had played better early in the season and the Wolves had won some of those close games, um, you know, things might've looked pretty different. I mean, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns still got hurt. D'Angelo Russell still got hurt. Malik Beasley still got suspended and still got hurt. But Rubio was a part of the early season struggles, was a big part of it. And so I think a B minus might actually be a little generous, but that's what I'll give Rubio for the season. And intrigued to find out what the offseason holds for Rubio and the Timberwolves and, and what the likelihood is that he's on the roster next fall. Again, my money is him on being on the team come fall, um, but but we'll see. Time will tell. Okay, I want to talk about the playoffs next. Before we do that, though, let's talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is now in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline. You can also get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, as well as NBA and NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. As teams are now marching through the playoffs in the NBA and NHL, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's BetOnline.ag, promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts all right let's talk playoff basketball today on the road to the nba playoffs or through the nba playoffs i should say coverage is brought to you by Michelob ultra it's only worth it if you enjoy it and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season uh two games on monday night The first was Philly and Washington, and the 76ers had a chance to put the Wizards away for good. I mean, they were up 3-0 in the series coming into this one and took a three-point lead after the first quarter. They were up by one at halftime, but then the Wizards came out firing in the third quarter and and kind of pulled away. They ended up winning by eight. I mean, it was it was still a close game to the final couple of minutes, but the Wizards really took took the bull by the horns in the third quarter of this one. Russell Westbrook had a weird game. Um, He was a big part of what of what, I mean, and how often can we say that about, about Russ, but he had, he was a big part of the third quarter for the wizards and check out this final line. Russell Westbrook scored 19 points on 19 shots. He was three of 19 shooting from the field, missed all four of his three point attempts, three of 19 shooting. He was 13 of 16 at the free throw line though. He had 21 rebounds and 14 assists, 19 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists, two steals, four turnovers, Again, three of 19 shooting, but he managed to score 19 points because of his uh, his high frequency of free throw attempts. Uh, Rui Hashimura had 20 points, 13 rebounds, and uh, had a technical late in the game, kind of at a critical jun- juncture. But I mean, this was just kind of, uh, I don't know. I, it was a weird game, and I'm sure the Sixers are frustrated they couldn't close things out. But uh, 
But Russ, Bradley Beal was had 27 points, but this was not his most efficient performance. He also had seven turnovers in the game, 27 points on 23 shots, only made two threes. And yet the Wizards did enough to hold off the Sixers down the stretch, win by eight, prolong this series by another game. And um, they're going to get one more in D.C. here before the thing before the series goes back to Philadelphia. So they'll get a chance to pull within three, two. But Philly's still up in that series three, one. And, and I would imagine they'll close it out here next time, next time out in uh, in at, at Washington. Um, the final game of the night was a ton of fun once again. And that was Utah and Memphis. And Utah took a commanding three, one lead by winning another game on the road in Memphis. Of course, the only game they lost in the series was game one when Donovan Mitchell didn't play. And Donovan Mitchell was really good in this game. He, uh, Mitchell ended up going, what did he have? 30 points on 22 shots. He was 12 of 13 at the line. Was awesome down the stretch in terms of getting to the free throw line. Just kind of forcing the issue, being physical, and finished with 30 points, eight assists. Mike Conley only had 11 points and seven assists in his return to Memphis. Uh, Well, I guess his second game of the series in Memphis, but he had a huge three late in the game as as, uh, Utah was trying to pull away. Memphis was down double digits in the in the third quarter, but used a push in the fourth to get back within three with just a couple of minutes to play. And then Utah called a timeout, had a quick run themselves. Uh, they had a they got a two pointer, then a three from Conley, and suddenly it was back to an eight point lead. And I don't believe it ever got closer than six beyond that. Um, it was never, it wasn't really in doubt in the final couple of minutes and the final margin ended up being seven points. Um, but Memphis, again, showed fight, showed heart. And, and this is about as tough of a, of a series between an eight seed and a one seed as you're going to have. And, you know, I guess draw conclusions where you want there. I mean, Utah was the league's best team start to finish in the regular season. They have some obvious shortcomings, um, but it's just it doesn't it doesn't feel like Utah is going to blow a ton of teams out. I, I mean, not that that should happen in the playoffs, but as a one seed, you'd think it would happen a little bit. But I also feel like they're going to grind out some of these close games and get past, you know, not just the first round. I think they're going to be a popular pick to lose in the second round. But Utah just has the ability to do that. They're a good enough three point shooting team, obviously, with Joe Ingles and uh, and Jordan Clarkson off the bench. And Ingles was quiet in this game, by the way. But I mean, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich combined to uh, to shoot six of ten in this game from outside the arc. Conley hit three threes. Um, George Niang had a good game outside the arc as well. Hit both of his three point attempts. So I think that the Jazz can do enough um, outside the arc and also be physical enough in the paint. And Rudy Gobert obviously is an incredible defender. And now that they're up three one, it seems pretty clear they're going to end up advancing. I don't think they're going to drop three straight to Memphis. So they're very likely going to go to the second round and they take on the winner of, of the Clippers Dallas Mavericks series. And that series of course started 2-0 Dallas. The Clippers have won the last two. There's one more game in LA and the Clippers will have a chance to take a lead before they go back to Dallas for game six. Um, that's a super fun series Clippers Mavs. And it's tough to say who the better matchup is and, you know, we could look at the regular season records, the head to heads between Utah and the Clippers and Utah and the Mavericks. Um, to me, the Clippers are a little bit of a tougher matchup just because of of the dual threat of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And the Clippers can also play physical, whereas Dallas uh, is less they're decidedly less physical. And if, if Utah can find a, you know, a, a, figure out a way to slow down Luka Doncic. Dallas should be a beatable matchup for Utah. So in my mind, the Jazz are probably hoping to face the Mavs in round two. And I I think if they do, they'll get past them. I think the Clippers will be a tougher test. Um, But Utah is a one seed that I think people may be too easily writing off simply because Memphis has given them a battle. 
I just think that Utah is built to win some of those close games a little bit more so than they are to blow other teams out, even as a number one seed. Um, so we'll see. But obviously, the Western Conference is stacked. Um, it's the only series in the West that is 3-1. The other three are all 2-2. In the Eastern Conference, you've got three series that are 3-1. And of course, Milwaukee already swept the Heat 4-0. So we may see another series or two come to an end on uh, Tuesday night. The games we have on Tuesday are Boston-Brooklyn. Of course, Brooklyn's up 3-1 in that series. That's the first game of the night. And Portland-Denver at 8 o'clock. That series is tied two games to two, as is Lakers-Phoenix. So I guess only one series could come to an end on Tuesday, uh, but that would be the the Celtics. If they lose to the Nets, that series is over. And then a pair of Game 5s, pivotal Game 5s in the Western Conference with Blazers-Nuggets and Lakers-Suns. So we'll talk all about those series and what comes of those on Wednesday's show. Um, we'll also get into the final player review of the season. That's Anthony Edwards, and uh, that will be Wednesday's show. Plenty of playoff action, starting to talk draft, packed rest of the week here on the show. So be sure if you're not already subscribed or following Locked On Wolves, please do. You can follow anywhere you listen to podcasts. That includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and of course, the all-new Odyssey app. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves and at B Beacon. That's B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. That's all we have for you today here at Lockdown Wolves. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast. Of course, we're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. A reminder that today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Lockdown Rooms. Locker Room is changing the way we talk sports. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, what is causing fans to act like idiots at sporting events? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you like to listen to podcasts.